This is episode two of the Get In My Garden podcast, where we meet the growing community of backyard farmers, gardeners, ranchers, and local business people working their land and running creative businesses off of it. I am your host, Aaron Moskowitz, and today I visit with Carol Horwitz of White Duck Farm, which she runs with her partner, Don Faulkner. We talk gardening, goats, birds, insect management, beekeeping, her involvement at the farmer's markets, and their experiments in small farming. Carol is a city slicker turned sustainable homesteader, and she did it at the age of 60. She is a wealth of knowledge and a great storyteller. On the blog at gettingmygarden.com, see photos and a short video of our visit together. I hope you enjoyed the interview. When I was a little girl, my first memory is of my father holding me in his arms. So I must have been two or three, and I'm feeding chickens. Really? Then, when I was in fifth grade, my dad bought an incubator, and I started incubating chicks in my home in the suburbs of Chicago. And um, aside from the fact that my little brother decided to give them all baths and kill them all, I had that in my background. And so when I moved to New Mexico, I started raising chickens. But were were you working for the government? I was the domestic and sexual violence prevention coordinator for the city of San Diego. But I had wanted a farm all my life. And then when I turned 60, we bought this place. Six zero. Yes, that's old. (laughs) But we had been doing, I had been doing all of this stuff a little bit at a time here. Uh When we lived in El Dorado, I was hatching out chickens and turkeys and beehive was there and then when I lived in Taos I lived in a commune and there was uh, goats and chickens and and farming gardening and stuff like that so I learned all that stuff little by little little by that's what little. people are probably interested in because you're like this normal person who did normal stuff and then now you're at this amazing farm yes and I don't think most people realize that it can be done yes yes it can be done if you but I do read a lot, and I do. Go, I used to go to a lot of conferences and stuff, like the Quivira Coalition. When I turned 60, we got this farm, we rebuilt it. Don loves doing construction-type stuff. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I wanted was the hoop house. And so we put, we put up the hoop house, and I have been growing greens 12 months of the year. That's amazing. Here. So I can have salad from my hoop house all year long. You said you're selling at the... Been, yeah, I sell. I uh, used to sell for a little restaurant in, in Las Vegas, a, a kind of fancy restaurant. And now I sell at the health food store in Las Vegas, and then I sell at the farmer's market. Um, I have developed my own special mix, which I call Max. It's mustard, arugula, cilantro, kale, and spinach. And Sounds it's, nice. It's really zippy. And you cut them when they're really small, right? I cut so they're like small. almost microgreens? Not, not that small. Okay. But... So I, I can get $12. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, I plant them, well, with the, all the goats. Right. And my soil is just amended incredibly. And goat poop is not hot. Like chicken shit is hot and you have to age it, but goat poop is ready. It's like ready to rock and roll. Really? So I just shovel out the goat yard and I put it in my hoop house and break it up and... 
you saw how beautiful yeah. these are. They just, they do really well. And then I water from the duck pond uh-huh. when I'm cleaning the duck pond. So, Wow, so you're really getting all sorts of nutrients in different there. Different nutrients, yeah. In fact, the whole garden gets watered by the duck pond park. I think that's why those little fruit, those are supposed to be dwarf. And they got really big, my fruit trees. They're definitely full, but they're not huge. I mean, you could totally pick them still. Yeah, I think. I, but anyway, so, so... do you think with the, without animals, it would be very, very tough to have a garden of this caliber? No, I think, though, that you have... The first thing you have to do is amend your soil. But, I mean, you mentioned the bugs, too. Oh, the bugs are, yeah. Because there were people I knew who lost everything, everything from those little tiny beetles. Mm-hmm. So well, that's how do you conquer that? Nice of you to ask. <laughs> um, so, and I had that problem one year. I watched the grasshoppers come in, uh-huh. and they mowed every, I mean, it was like an army. They mowed down every green thing in my garden. It was so depressing. And I did everything. I squished them and squished squatted them and did everything that I could. Could not keep up with them. Then I got this uh, no-low bait, which is still as good, and I used that two years ago, and it did help some. Uh, no what low, is that? It is a natural product that interrupts the reproductive cycle of grasshoppers. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you put it out, the grasshoppers eat it, and then they can't reproduce. Mm-hmm. So that helps, but it just, you know, not every grasshopper <laughs> eats it. And I think one grasshopper probably has 500 eggs, so. And then your neighbor's house probably has a million grasshoppers yeah. to move over here, too. Yes, yes. And they go, oh, Carol's house has some good greens. Let's go and <laughs> chow down. So you finally... So finally, um, and I had been talking to one a, a woofer, and I'll tell you about the woofing program because that's oh, cool. really interesting. But uh, I was talking to a woofer, and she said, well, Carol, you should just get some guineas. So my neighbor raises exotic birds, and I said, can I just borrow some guineas and see if it works? And I ended up actually buying guineas from him. The guineas eat everything that moves. Snakes. Harlequin bugs, uh, squash bugs, and they love grasshoppers. Guineas are beautiful. Now, what what else are they for? Do you eat well, them? Well, you can eat them. They're do they lay eggs meat. that are good? They also lay delicious eggs. Taste like a chicken egg, only it's a little small, slightly harder shell. And I did hatch out a bunch of eggs, and that's how I ended up with eight. People don't like them because they really no- can be really noisy. But these are jumbo guineas, and I had the miniature or the small-sized guineas. Their head is about the size of my thumbnail, the little ones, and they squawk all the time. But these jumbo ones, they're a little more self-confident. Those are really cool looking. They're really cool. They poke it out of feathers, and I just love them. And so they. this year was the first year I really had a garden with, I did not find one single grasshopper. That's awesome. It's unbelievable. It's so unbelievable. How do you move them around? You just Well, I just so I just keep them in this area. It's all fenced off and they have a house over there. So all summer they were in here. Oh, I see. So And but then in around the, your vegetable uh, hoop houses. Yeah. And they can go in the hoop houses, and I feed them as well. But right now, there's not really enough for them to eat out here, so I've moved them, and they're going to be able to go out into the fields. I see. Like my geese and ducks and chickens do. Maybe they'll get some of the grasshoppers from out there. You know? So if you put them out there, do you still have to feed them other food? 
Well, I probably I, I don't, but I do because it keeps them bonded to me, and I don't want them wandering off. Like my turkeys, I had, I told you, 24 turkeys. I had eight hens that went out in the field during mating season, and they sat on their eggs, and now there's a flock of wild turkeys that live down the Oh, my Moscow. God, wow. So. And you can't tame them, huh? I, I did clip the wings on the guineas, but um, I don't really in the, I don't mind if my turkeys repopulate the basket. That's cool. I mean, that's a wild turkey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got how many sections? I mean, first of all, it's, it seems like a big place, but you've got all these different sections that are fenced off and it sounds like you, or it looks like you know exactly what you're doing, rotating and Uh, Yeah, I just try and mend the soil every year in my garden. That's all fenced off because the chickens and turkeys would go and harvest. And now, you know, then we built that fence to keep the poultry on that side. But they have four acres uh, they can go out to. And they do. The goats and the poultry share the fields. There's four acres of, well, I showed you where Wes's garlic field is going to be. Yeah. And there's a lot of forage out there. There's alfalfa and grasses and clovers. I just don't want my poultry to eat my honeybees. So oh, I have the honeybees. That makes sense. Yeah. And so, they, I mean, they can't get to them unless they're right next to the hive, right? Right. Yeah. Unless a bee lands close, I guess. Right. <laughs> we, you know, and this is the thing that I told Don and we didn't, we'd never had a farm. I've always had huge gardens and lots of animals, but we never put it all together. But I said we would have these plants, but the farm had a, a voice and a mind of its own. And it really told us what it wanted. So I would try something. The farm would say, no, not that. Or uh, the farm would invite me to do other. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me, but I, I think a lot of people who aren't sure what they're doing at all, mm-hmm. they think that the farm is telling them to just stop. No, the farm, it you just, um, and that's the like the biodynamic uh, model, and I'm not a biodynamic farmer, but the biodynamic model is that the farm is like a living being, and it should contain everything it needs, and it, it should feed itself. Seems and like you're pretty close. We're pretty close, yeah. When things don't work, that's a farm saying, don't do it that way, try it another way. Or like, I put this flower garden in here because I wanted it right outside the kitchen windows. And yes, your irises are in there. <laughs> uh, they're buried under a lot of mulch. Cool. But this elm, this elm tree and this black locust, they go, oh, there's so much water there, let's send it every root and so nothing will really grow there just because the roots have just these trees have just taken over so that's the farm that's the earth saying yeah it was a nice idea but move these plants somewhere else they're not happy gotcha. <laughs> away a little further away like and sometimes i sell plants at the farmer's market and i'm trying well, those to- canna lilies those were so popular because i think a lot of people go to the market uh-huh. they are interested in farming uh-huh. themselves but they just feel like it's impossible for some reason and, and then you give them these beautiful cantaloupes with huge leaves. It makes them feel good. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you that the farmers are so wonderful. They're just such wonderful people and so giving. And, you know, you talk to them about what they're doing and, and they're so passionate. Pretty amazing. Have they been farming for a long time, most of them? Some of them. So they're passionate about that and it's like a family business. Yeah, and like my friend Robert, he um, he has a farm. 
at Robert and Gwen, and they've been doing this his whole life and his family. They take their cows up to the high country in the summer, and they bring them down, and I have never had meat that's so delicious. Then there's this guy, Roy. His, his pigs, um, they're not kept in a little enclosure. They're out in the fields, and they're rooting around, and they're eating what's good, good for them. Yeah. Like my chickens, you know, they, yes, I feed them, but they also go out in the fields and they eat bugs and worms and that's what they're supposed to eat. They have a really good life. I think that this, my goal here was Bush was president. And I just said, I looked at Don and I said, I really want to get unplugged. The idea of the farm was to be self-sustaining and to be unplugged and to be a place, a peaceable kingdom. And, you know, every once in a while I have a a bird that doesn't behave. It's real aggressive or something like that. They go in the freezer. And um, everybody else, I mean, all these animals, like the goats, the baby goats, when they were born... They, and the emus would be like sitting on the ground. That's Chester. Chester. The emus would be sitting on the ground and the baby goats would nuzzle into their feathers. I mean, how beautiful is that? And then one year, this was really funny. I had a chicken and a turkey. They were both sitting on a nest. Sitting, 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 nothing hatched. So finally I had the incubator going and I had hatched out a baby turkey, and I put it under them. And that chicken and that turkey co-parented this baby turkey. One would walk on one side, one would walk on the other, and the baby turkey would walk in between them, and they raised that baby turkey. And then the little baby would sit down, and then the chicken would sit over it the way the chickens do uh-huh. to protect their babies. And then the turkey would sit on the chicken. And they cool. were all friendly. So, Friendly family. Yeah. You're doing, you're constantly experimenting with different things. Yes. So, have you, what's something that, have you had any mishaps? Hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. This is a, here's my sad story. I showed you my Muscovy ducks. Yeah. Esperanza and Zeb. I got them because they are supposed to be good brooders. Brooder is a, a mom that takes care of her babies. I've been watching her, and she had beautiful nests. She had about 15 eggs in it. She hatched out 10 babies. This is my experiment, so I let her raise the babies herself. Well, ducks have very large feet, which I hadn't really thought about. She stepped on and squished every single baby. But I did learn next year, or next time she broods, or lays eggs is I'm going to let her hatch them all out but I'm going to take them away until they're big enough to go back to her that way hopefully I'll get a better wow that was that was no that does she have any concept of that I think that I don't I don't really know I think she well I know that she was very protective when she was sitting on her nest um, she would hiss at me if I ever got near it. So because so many times I've seen ducks, they they keep track of their babies so well. Uh-huh. Yes, I know. I'm surprised. Now uh, here's a very interesting thing that I learned: um, the geese and a goose egg is huge. I take the goose eggs uh-huh. and I incubate them, but geese are. Uh, we have a lot to learn from geese because they will take care of any baby that you bring to them. 
So after the babies get hatched out and they're able to walk, because they have to be able to move and keep up with the flock, then I bring them out and the geese will surround them. Wow. And one goose, one female, will stay with the babies at all times. And then the rest of the geese will surround them and protect them. So they're very motherly. Again, all for any the, birds. They're so, uh, of, all of, of all the birds, they're amazing. But I've also seen chickens adopt other chicks and, okay. and things like that. But, but aren't I've, geese known for being a little bit aggressive? Yeah, they can be, and but they're only aggressive in that kind of situation. It's amazing. Yeah, they're amazing, and I just have really enjoyed learning about them. Well, they're really noisy, but I really enjoy them. You know that storyteller doll? That's Native Americans. Have you ever seen those? I don't think so. Well, it's a woman. She's sitting. She's a storyteller. And she has children climbing all over her. And it's just a beautiful doll, and it's very traditional Native Americans. Well, sometimes a chicken, I see that with the chickens. And they're sitting there, and they have like a baby peeking out of their chest, and one's on their shoulder, and one's under their wing peeking out. And you know that expression, under your wing? Mm -hmm. It really happens. That's cool. So the birds will, and I've seen this with the turkeys too, where they open their wings, they will... Scoop them up. They put hold them under their wings like that. And turkeys are really interesting because when they have babies, um, they open their tail. Uh, the females don't have big as tails as men, but they'll open their tail, and then they make an awning. And then the baby turkeys <laughs> will walk underneath the awning. And That's joke. cool. It's very funny to watch them. There's, yeah, there's a lot of behaviors that we could learn a lot. And anybody who thinks an animal animals aren't sentient beings is, is a stupid asshole. And you can keep that on your tape. <laughs> they really, um, the more time you observe them, the more you see that. One turkey came back, she left. She was off in the field somewhere or in the forest or somewhere. And she came back with 11 babies. Wow. And they were just, she had them all. It was really. The wild babies? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. What did you call that, that mound again? Oh, that's a hugel culture. And what you do is you dig a pit. It's, what is it, German? I think it's German. It, and this one probably isn't a real good one, but it was just our first experiment. But you dig a pit, you put deciduous tree branches in there and compost and stuff. Then you mound it back up. And what happens, and, and in New Mexico, it's really kind of a neat idea because it the wood, as it decomposes, mm -hmm. it keeps the soil moist. And so um, there's real ones. They're big and tall, and uh, they're incredibly productive. So basically, you've got this mound of moist compost that the roots are going into and mm -hmm. getting nutrients from. And yeah. Cool. A, took a photo of it. I'll put it on the vlog. <laughs> and then maybe that'll be what you're doing in the future more. It yeah, I'd well. like to try another one with different kinds of wood, soft, like a cottonwood. I see. Better. So, you're, how long have you been selling at the market? Probably and, ten years. And I and you, I took a picture of your soap. You're making soap right now in the sink. Okay, so this is the thing. Um, a few years ago, I was getting three gallons of milk a day. That is a lot of milk. And it was like, Carol, figure out what to do with it. It can't all be cheese. Okay. So that was the year I learned to make soap. I made lotion. I made shampoo. I made uh, hand cream and cheese and different kinds of cheese. And now I've got it down to a gallon a day. 
when, during milking season, I which see. is about five months. So this is what we do with the goats. The goats milk for five months. They get a month off. Then they get bread. Then the babies get the, all the milk for one month. Yeah. So, um, so I'm making soap and lotion and, you know. And then I have these Angora goats. And once a year, Donna and I shear them. Wow. And then we clean the, I clean the fiber. And then I've been dyeing it. So I've just been learning how to do that. And then you tease apart the fiber and you wrap the soap. And then you get the soap with a coating of wool on it. And it really, for people like me, whose hands are always dirty, it actually can clean them. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I've seen you selling those too, right? Yeah. That's the... mm-hmm. I didn't have very many of them at the Eldorado Market because in the in the summertime, I'm just out in the garden all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And so this is the time of year where instead of sitting here on my duff talking to you, I should be in there <laughs> making soap and lotion and stuff. Wow, so it's like a full-time know. job. Yeah, it but is. But, but I love, love it. it. Uh-huh. I'm so grateful to be here. To you know, the other thing is to really live in harmony with the earth and to be to live in a way that doesn't cause any it's so easy to damage it. And we have to be really mindful of everything that we do. And not only that, you know, one little thing just puts out a butterfly effect. Yeah, it does. Really. Okay, I'll tell you this horrible oh here here's an experiment that didn't work. So we have goats, and goats poop, and flies love goat poop. And the flies were so horrible and intense that I got, and I had tried everything, you know, like and fly swatter and everything. So I finally got some toxic fly spray. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'll just use a little bit, you know, and they're really intense. Well, I sprayed some inside the barn, and there were a lot of flies on the ground, so I sprayed some on the ground. And then, you know, that was the end of it. I didn't really think about it. Well, then I hatched out, what was it? Was it the guineas? I think it was the guineas that I hatched out. And I picked up the straw because I always put it on the bottom of the, you know, the box where I'm brooding them. Every guinea died. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't You don't mess with what is the delicate ecosystem really um, of course the fly spray is gone and and i will never do that again i was worried you know the goats and the flies and disease and you know it's mm-hmm. going through all that stuff and mm. we also get predatory wasps oh and they eat fly larvae and they're and they don't hurt honeybees and they're, they're just they're the size of a very very small ant so where do you get a predatory wasp spalding labs <laughs> what is that it's a company that raises, um, you know, there are like ladybugs. Yeah. You know, there are insects that can eat other insects. So we did get the predatory wasp, and that did seem to help a little bit. But I think, um, I don't think I'm, it's kind of expensive. It's like $35 a month for 10,000 predatory wasps. Do they come and pick up the wasps after? No, they, then, you know, they have, I don't know what happens. I guess they have their cycle and die. Wow. But they they never get bigger than like an eighth of an inch, a sixteenth huh. of an inch. They're really tiny. And then we use like diatomaceous earth and oh, things yeah, that's like great. that. That is the thing about having a lot of animals around is, you know, you do have fly. We had um, a goat. And, uh, yeah, we've had goats die of pneumonia. We've had, we've had goats die. I'll tell you, last year I bought local 
alfalfa for my goats and grass, I think he sprayed. And last year, it was the first time, but one of the goats delivered a monster. It oh my was, God. It was like, no. So I think there's a couple of things is one, you have to be really, you have to watch them. When a goat is standing off by itself, goats want to be together. The other thing is if you breed them too young, like last yeah. year, I bred one that was too young. We lost all the babies. Yeah. So she yeah, didn't they, know how to teach them, huh? This is this is where I mean the farm teaches you because, you know, you think you've got to figure it out. You have to learn. You have to pay attention. So this year, now we have another goat that's not quite a year old. Her name's Lily, and uh, she's got her tail up, and she's wagging, but she will not be bred. Wow. Well, so you, you went from hobbies to a self-sustaining farm business, basically. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to, I'm sure there are, there are ways to make like more products or more things like that. But what if somebody doesn't want to have a farm? They just want to do something smaller, like you were doing hobbies in your backyard. Mm-hmm. What would be your what do you think is the best thing for people to start with? I think to start, the first thing you should do is start with growing your own food. See if that's a good match for you, and then you can add a few chickens. Your eggs and your and your greens, you're doing pretty good. And then, yeah. you know, if you love doing that, then, like, you're asking me what's the most fiscally beneficial. And, I, you know, that I can't, I can't answer. But I do think in terms of emotional and physical health, what, once you have those things, then you can figure the other stuff out. What calls to you? What calls to you, like the rhizomes? You know, that's it's a really what you were doing is pretty amazing. Pretty simple. But it's still amazing. But you also focus on rhizomes, didn't you? No, I focus on anything that um, will feed the honeybees. Oh. Yeah. So, but you had you had Jerusalem artichoke, and didn't you say that that has a great flower? It, yeah, and that's why I started it was because it blooms in September, which is late. Mm-hmm. And so it provides forage for the honeybees. But then, woohoo! it also provides forage for humans. And those are great. They are really prolific, right? Yes. So what are your other favorite plants that honeybees love or that have specific times that work for you? But you're thinking that are also not just for the bees, but also for other humans. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Well, I this year I I told you I think I'm just going to do tomatoes, Roma tomatoes because I love Roma tomatoes, and I don't even like to eat them. I just like to grow them. Really? But he likes them. Roma tomatoes and greens and flowers. And the so tomatoes are good for bees. Well, yeah. I mean, they're not fabulous but the flowers and you can and i want to do more perennials but i'm always experimenting like this year of your tobacco oh cool that was really fun and it has an incredible flower on it which is so fragrant so you know i always want to try and grow things new things that i've never grown before but then like the lavender like okay so if you want a cash crop i think lavender is probably it well, there are a lot of people growing specialty varieties mm-hmm. and making essential oils and other mm-hmm. stuff out of them. Yeah. It's very popular and medicinal. Mm-hmm. Tobacco, too. Because well, maybe not for cigarettes, but for essential oils. The essential oil of tobacco is really special. They use it in mm-hmm. perfumes. and. Yeah, I don't know about tobacco essential oil.
but I know it's used a lot in around here. There's a lot of people who practice a ritual, and they use tobacco. Thanks for listening. We have more content from my visit with Carol in episode four, where she talks about beekeeping and the mind of the hive. If you have comments, questions, or great ideas for future episodes, please send me an email directly to Aaron at getinmygarden.com. I'm just getting started, so I'm definitely looking for your suggestions for ways I can improve these podcasts. I promise you there will be incremental improvement in sound quality, editing, and content as I learn more about what I'm doing and buy more equipment. Please check out and follow me on Instagram at getinmygarden for photos of episodes and recent farm visits. Photos of my visit with Carol at White Duck Farm are also all hashtag White Duck Farm in Instagram. Sign up by email for updates and specials on the website, getinmygarden.com. And while you're there, check out the show notes or resource tab for contact information of our guests. Lastly, please leave positive reviews on iTunes and other podcasting platforms if you've enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. 